Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. Your bulletins are wrong. I don't know who printed those. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been going about healing, blessing the nation, the, the people. And, and then he gets to blessing them, not with healing, but with, with his teaching, which is spiritual healing. And he begins with these Beatitudes, that's what they're known as. These statements about the blessed man, these statements about uh, what characterizes those who have the favor of God upon them. Right? And I also like to think that blessed simply means happy. And uh, I probably can't make an airtight case for that, but um, if happy means more than just emotion, if it means the enjoyment of God, then that's what blessed means. But listen to this. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now we're going to focus on one of those beatitudes, almost one half of those beatitudes. And um, and I'm preaching this text because you need it, and I need it. Right? That's always why I preach. That's always why we come together to sit under the ministry of the word is because we desperately need the word of God to work in our hearts. And so we're going to be, we're going to be focusing in on verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, for those of us who, who have a well-honed and well-practiced sense of justice, gentleness seems like a betrayal of what is good. Right? When we are wronged, when we are offended, we feel justified in our raging and our, our ranting and our ungentle thoughts. Right? And, and so gentleness in the face of those wrongs seems like weakness, doesn't it? Come on, I'm not the only one who feels this way. That's how the proud think. That is the, the thinking of the proud. Such as how you and I think 
And, and who is not proud? Should I ask for hands? Well, think about this. And tremble as you think about your own pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And it should just sober you up. It should stop you in your tracks. It should take your breath away. Now, there's also danger. There's also this danger in, in preaching on gentleness today because we live in an effeminate age. And so effeminate men hear this command to be gentle, and they, what they hear is, abdicate your authority. Don't be like Abraham who commanded his household to keep the way of the Lord, right? No, just, just flow with it. Be quiet. Don't say anything. And so there's danger in preaching on gentleness because, because it's an effeminate day and age, right? We're offended that Jesus overturned tables and got a whip and struck those who were making his father's house a den of robbers. It offends us. But gentleness is difficult, isn't it? Gentleness is difficult. I'm raising six children, and all six of those children have been infants. <laughs> right? Infants who can't communicate can try your patience. Right? And, and when your patience is tried, gentleness of mouth and of actions departs. Think, uh, think of the, the, that, that time your child was inconsolable. Right? If you put her down, she cried. If you put her down, she cries and cries and cries. If you try to distract her with, you know... Faces and exciting games and motions and, and, and things, she, she gets, you know, even angrier and cries more. And then you try scooping her up in your arms and, and she cries even harder. And then, and then in the face of all your ministry, she stiffens her neck and gets rigid and cries even louder. Right? Now, there have been a few times when I have, out of frustration, gotten impatient and thereby lost my gentleness with my child, right? Tightening my grip on her, flopping her into a different position with maybe too much aggression in the motion, right? Too much reckless abandon. As soon as I've done these impatient and less than gentle deeds, Praise God, the Lord reminds me that she is, she is or was hurting or just tired. And now is the time to not be offended, but to be gentle. Gentle in the face of her affronts. I keep using her because our hardest child was a, was a her. And the first one. <laughs> Um, how easy it is, you know, to treat somebody gently when they're lovely and cooing and giggling. 
right? But how hard it is to be gentle when, when they fight against you. But that time in her struggling foolishness and in the face of her fighting is when you need to be gentle. Okay, and so we all struggle with gentleness. I mean, we could come up with other other examples. Faced with a harsh and impatient world, we all think it's more productive to be aggressive and harsh. Right? I mean, can I put a camera in your car this week? And we'll find out that you're gentle, right? That there's no aggression, that there's not, there's no difficulty here, right? Just a camera in the car. And, and, but one of my points is this. We believe, we really believe that gentleness is weakness. And so, and so then once you begin thinking of gentleness as weakness, then you feel justified in anger and impatience. You feel justified in your anger. You feel justified in your response, okay? Now our text this morning teaches us that the happy man, the blessed man, the man who knows the favor of God is gentle or meek. Some of your translations say meek, gentle. Each of these, uh, I could go through all these. I, I think these, these beatitudes, they build upon one another. They, they, they ascend to the end. Um, if you look at the first beatitude, uh, poor in spirit means to, to recognize your, the poverty of your spirit, right? That you, ha- you are a sinner weighed down by sins. You're poor in spirit. And so if you don't get that, there's no building up on the rest of them, right? So there's, there, there will not be hungering and thirsting for righteousness if you don't believe you're unrighteous and have a poverty of spirit, so, so on and so forth. But... Um, you know, and then it's the, the man who sees a sin that mourns over his sin. And then we get to the next one, which is gentleness. And, and, and I want to focus on this one. We, um, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, we could say that the first two Beatitudes are more focused on our hearts, our inward life, though the second Beatitude does have an outward focus, mourning the sins of the world. But now we come to this third Beatitude, and it's a completely outward realm, right? It's, it's, in a sense, it's dealing with what's outside you and, and showing forth gentleness to it. It's how we relate to other drivers. It's how we relate to uh, employees. It's how we relate to children. It's how we relate to our enemies. It's how we relate to God himself. And so gentleness is, is expressed in how we relate to others. And so I'm going I'm to borrow from Thomas Watson here for a definition of, of gentleness. He uses meekness. He says this, gentleness is a grace whereby we are enabled by the Spirit of God to moderate our passion It allows us the bearing of injuries, the forgiving of injuries, and the recompensing good for evil. Okay, good definition by our man, Thomas Watson. Let me say it again. Gentleness is a grace whereby we are enabled by the Spirit of God to moderate our passion. It allows us the bearing of injuries, the forgiving of injuries, and the recompensing good for evil. And then I I found another definition 
It says this, The quality shown by friends, while stern harshness may be expected from an enemy. It describes the wise man who remains meek in the face of insults, the judge who is lenient in judgment, and the king who is kind in his rule. That's what gentleness is. Now, let me give you a few examples of the opposite of gentleness from Scripture. Example number one. While a gentle man regards, a gentle woman regards the condition of other men and has compassion on them, the harsh man disregards their needs and burdens them with unnecessary pain. Right? And and harshness, the opposite of gentleness, is a particular sin associated with youth, right? with young men especially. So young men, listen well. Think of Rehoboam, right? 1 Kings chapter 12. Who is Rehoboam? Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, right? And Solomon gets out of the way, and Rehoboam's taking over. And what does he do? Well, he has counselors. He has two groups of counselors counseling him two different ways. And we read about this in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, Depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed, and King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them, and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servant forever, your servants forever. But he took, but he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young men who grew up with him, spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord. And he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. 
Again, God working out his purposes through the sins, even the sins of his people. Right? But here, he listens to the young men. His response is one of harshness. Right? Rather than listening to the elders, the elders tell him, be gentle, and the, and the people will be your servants. They will love you. They will be kind, and you will be kind to them. And he forsakes that counsel, and the sin of Israel just gets going in full force. Another example, we, we can turn to, a, uh, this, you may be thinking of this already, but in Genesis chapter 34, we see the opposite of gentleness again. The story teaches us another thing about gentleness. While, while the gentleman is able to moderate his passions, while he's able to bear the injuries against himself, the harsh man takes revenge into his own hands. Right? Not allowing room for the judgment of God. Right? Those of you, you know, who are struggling with desires to act in harshness by taking revenge. Well, then listen to this. This is in Genesis 34. It tells us about Shechem, who is not from the Jewish nation. And he's lusting after Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters. And Shechem rapes Dinah. And eventually Jacob's sons find out, and so they scheme with Shechem, making him think that he will be able to marry Dinah if only he and his men are circumcised. And after all the men agree to be circumcised, here's what happened. Genesis 34, verse 18. Now their words seem reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young men did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us, therefore let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now, it came about on the third day when they were in pain, the circumcision was a scheme, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brother, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. And Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in their houses. And then Jacob, their dad, said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land. Among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister as a harlot? And the story ends. 
And you wish there were a few more paragraphs. But look, they're taking vengeance into their own hands. Right? They're not leaving room for the vengeance of God. And, and though what, what, what Shechem did was horrible sin and deserved the, the severest of God's punishments, these men were punishing those beyond the ones who had committed the sin. Violence then made them odious, made the whole nation odious in the sight of the nation surrounding them. Their holiness, their, holiness, their set-apartness, should not have come through this slaughter. It should have come through their holiness. Now, some positive examples of gentleness. Think of this example. Think of King David's relationship with Saul. Even after Saul, a number of times, had attempted to put a spear through David's body. Right? David does not once act in harshness, but instead he is gentle toward this apostate king. He has a number of opportunities to kill Saul. He even has a number of opportunities to kill Saul where all of the mighty men who are as his advisors are saying, now you finally can get him. But David is unwilling to be violent against the Lord's anointed. In one story, Saul stumbles into a cave occupied by David, and David's men rejoice, thinking, you know, surely David will destroy Saul. And we go to 1 Samuel 24. Four through seven. Then the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him. Because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. So not only does David not kill Saul, but he feels guilty for the very tiny, simple, nothing act of cutting off a piece of his robe. Now this is true gentleness that does not recompense evil for evil. He goes even further than sparing Saul by telling his men not to kill him. He's protecting Saul's life. His gentleness is actually being a guard now for Saul. And so gentleness keeps men from exacting revenge against their enemies and, and see the effect see the effects that David's gentleness had on Saul. We forget this part in verse 17. Right? We think that gentleness is ineffective and impotent and weak. Right? But what did this gentleness what effect did it have? Verse 17, then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt, dwelt with me. 
or dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. So for those of you who think gentleness just means leaving people alone and not meddling in their affairs, think on this example. David does not just spare Saul. He protects Saul. He protects him. Now, another example of gentleness in Scripture, and this stands out to me, and it must be said in today's age, is the description of the godly woman in 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And then it goes on to exhort husbands to be gentle. Right? But, I, but when, when you think of gentleness... You know, I, I think we can safely say that gentleness is a particularly feminine trait, or it should be a particularly feminine trait, or that women should tend toward gentleness more than men, right? And this can be seen in the way that they naturally handle their own children with delicate tenderness and, and much more patience than men, right? Think of the sick child being comforted in her mother's arms for countless numbers of hours, right? My wife, though she struggles with frustration and anger, like every woman here, right, has much more of a capacity to be gentle and to gently contend, if I can put it that way, gently contend with our children than I can. She is a woman. She is a mother. Now think of this passage in First Peter, where where Peter is describing the behavior of a wife that could win over her husband. Let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, I want to think about gentleness in that context for a while because our culture is, is, is violent, far from gentle here. How sad it is, isn't it, that feminism has given us a false beatitude, right? They proclaim happy are the aggressive women. Happy are the women who can fight alongside our men in the military, right? Happy and successful are the women who are loud and boisterous. What is that bumper sticker about nothing, women who are loud, accomplished everything good? Or It's more negative than that, um, 
culture proclaims happy is the woman who leaves behind that place that has the greatest potential in the world of being a place of gentleness, warmth, and tenderness, the home. The woman who practices the womanly arts at home, the very epitome of gentleness, is somehow thought to be oppressed, and we have all bought the feminist lie. And we disregard, even despise gentleness, and so we despise femininity, which by God's design, was imbued with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. We hate the place where comfortable gentleness is most often expressed, and that is in the warmth and walls of the home. How ironic feminists want nothing to do with the feminine, which scripture gloriously describes as gentle and quiet. Gentle and quiet. So women, do you despise your femininity because it gives because it requires of you gentleness? Have you bought the lie of the feminists that you have to leave behind those natural inclinations toward gentleness, toward mothering, right? Toward kindness and concern and care, right? Have you bought into the lies that says that's weakness, that gentleness is weakness, that quietness is weakness? You know, and it's sad that our, that our wives and daughters and mothers would leave behind gentleness because the world desperately desperately needs the gentleness of women. Husbands desperately need the gentleness of their wives. Children desperately need the gentleness of their mothers and their, you know, there's a time for warfare, but praise God for the gentleness of women that has at times brought wars to an end in your own house. Think, husbands, how many times your wife's gentleness has talked you down, has brought you back. Right? I hope that is the case. Regardless of the, regardless of the, the social benefits of gentleness, get this. It's precious in the sight of God. Who cares what effect it has when Scripture says something like that? Right? It's precious in the sight of God. God loves it. It's precious. Another example of gentleness. And of course, Jesus is the epitome, the embodiment of the blessed man, except he had no poverty of spirit in the sense that we do, right? Weighed down by the heaviness of sins. But he had poverty in spirit and that he was acquainted with grief. But, but Jesus is the, the ultimate example of, of gentleness. He exemplified perfect gentleness. Uh, though, are there, though there are times, no doubt, when he was violently zealous against his enemies, those within the temple courts that were profaning his father's name, which he took very seriously, um, he demonstrated at other times perfect gentleness. 
And perhaps even that overturning of the tables is just another example of his gentleness, considering what he could have done. Isaiah 53 describes the gentleness of the Lord's anointed Jesus in this way. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. And remember, Jesus commands the very angels at any point he could have thrown legions of these powerful beings at his enemies. Or do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Those words were spoken after Peter chops off the ear of of the servant in an act of violence. Jesus could have immediately dashed all of his enemies to pieces. He could have immediately destroyed those Romans who spit on him and mocked him to his face. He could have immediately shut the mouths of all of his opponents, those blasphemous Pharisees, with death. He could have shaken the very earth and caused the temple stones to crush the skulls of his enemies. He could have abused his mockers the ones who hurled abuse at him and wagged their heads while he was hanging on the tree, dying for the sins of the world. And yet we hear him say these words to the Romans and to the Jews, to all those assembled before him, to us, these mockers and these scorners, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's gentleness. That's amazing gentleness. That's cosmic gentleness, right? And he was true to his words in the later portions of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. These men are mocking him. And spitting at him, and he says, Father, forgive them. Those are amazing words of gentleness. And he, do you know that he has said the same thing to you? He has been infinitely gentle to you. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Watson, Thomas Watson strikingly puts it this way. How many black mouths are open daily against the majesty of heaven? How do men tear his name? How do men vex his spirit? How do men crucify his son afresh? They walk up and down the earth as so many devils covered with flesh, yet the Lord is meek, not willing that any should perish. How easily God could crush sinners and kick them into hell. But he moderates his anger. Though he be full of majesty, yet full of meekness, in him is mixed princely greatness and fatherly mildness. 
the gentleness of Jesus Christ, we can say, achieved our salvation. Instead of coming down from the cross and physically dashing his enemies to pieces, which would have been you and I, he did a good work in the face of all the evil before him. He stayed there on the tree, bearing the wrath of God, forsaken by his Father, crushed with our iniquities, all in a spirit of immense gentleness. No, Christ says, I will not come down and give the devil the victory. I will, in my gentleness and my meekness, storm the very gates of hell and crush the serpent's head. I will submit to my Father's will. I will die for the very people mocking me. I will, in my gentleness, in my gentleness, pay for the atonement of these beautiful souls. It's interesting that we think we can only get things done if we are aggressive and violent and strong. But here, on the cross, gentleness triumphs over all the powers of evil. Gentleness raises her strong arm and overcomes even death. Gentleness inherits the earth. So as Christians, we trust God to to work through our gentleness. Christ says, learn from me, for I am gentle. Right? Not only will happiness come with gentleness, but also patience will fill our hearts knowing that he, God, will take revenge on all of our enemies. We fly no planes into the buildings of our enemies. We blow up no bombs in marketplaces to kill our enemies, Right? We do not murder doctors who murder babies. Though it is awful and heinous, we allow the state to bear the sword and we, we shame violent behavior, but we shame violent behavior with our very gentleness. Gentleness, which is as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. So what a testimony we will have when, with the Spirit's help, We demonstrate the love of Christ, gentleness in the face of oppressing evil and persecution to our enemies, to our neighbors, to our spouses, to our co-workers, to our children, to our parents. Right Again, Watson writes, He is a saint whose spirit is made so meek that he can smother prejudices and bury unkindnesses. A passion of tears better becomes a Christian than a passion of anger. Every saint is Christ's spouse. It becomes Christ's spouse to be meek, to be gentle. If any injury be offered to the spouse, she leaves it to her husband to take revenge. It is unseemly for Christ's spouse to strike. Could it be that through a gentle spirit we might reconcile with our family members that we have refused to talk to for ages Could it be that we might win over the man down the road who has oppressed and mocked us for years as we go to church on Sunday mornings? Right? Could it be that through your gentleness you might bring peace into a tension-filled marriage? Right? This is certain. We will come to an understanding of the glorious work of Jesus Christ if we, too, cultivate a spirit of gentleness toward others. And so for those of you who think you are gentle... Meditate on the extent of Christ's gentleness on the cross and continue further with the help of the Holy Spirit. For those of you 
who are willing to admit that you're, you're not gentle, in fact, you're riddled with anger and violent impatience and disdain for authority, will meditate on the power of Christ's gentleness and pray to God that he would allow you to live in gentleness by the, the power of his spirit at work in you. And for all of us, whatever categories we're in, remember the words of Christ. Learn from me, for I am gentle. And he says, blessed are the gentle. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask your forgiveness. Ask you forgiveness for all the times that we have decided that it was, it was proper for us to respond to sins against us with sins against others. Forgive us for the times that we have, that our pride, which militates against this gentleness that we've just been exhorted to in your word, when our pride will not sit by and allow our hearts to be softened. Oh God, help us. Help my heart to soften. Help all of our hearts to soften. I pray that we would know this gentleness that Jesus Christ perfectly showed toward us and that bought us our salvation. Lord, and I pray that we would see its effectiveness, that we would see impasses that and, and walls and, and, and pride that has stood between people and between organizations and between husbands and wives and children and, and parents just fade away. There be softness, kindness, gentleness. Help us in this for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the comfort of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.